This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to DSC's Campfires with Larry Wysoon. The unique blend of hunting, conservation, and the outdoor lifestyle delivered in an entertaining, informative fashion that only a veteran outdoorsman can do. DSC's Campfires is brought to you by DSC, Conservation, Education, and Hunter Advocacy. Hornady, Accurate, Deadly, Dependable. Trigicon, Brilliant Aiming Solutions. Taurus, Makers of the Raging Hunter Handgun. Burnham Brothers Game Calls, Double Nickel Taxidermy. Now here's your host, Larry Wysu. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a DSC Campfires. This one coming to you actually from the offices of DSC. And I am very honored and proud to have a very dear friend of mine. We've known each other for a while and become good friends over the years, Mr. Brian Fienhold. And Brian, you have a new title. You're no longer, unfortunately, for the Mule Deer Foundation with them, but you are now with DSC and the DSCF. So what, what's your official title at this moment? <laughs> Well, first, Larry, thanks for letting me join you today. And, oh, my uh, gracious. You know, I don't know if they're going to appreciate the campfire you've built here in the in the offices, but but we'll make do, right? So, well, they'll live with it. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, it's sure nice to be here, and, and I always enjoy chatting with you. My my official title is Director of Development, and uh, I'm going to be working with a lot of folks to uh, help drive support for the DSC and DSCF mission. And I look forward to that. So thanks for letting me be here. Oh, absolutely. Brian, before we get into that, uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about your background. Because uh, I, I, I knew who you were long before I met you. And then you were, when, let's talk about some of the things you did with the Mule Deer Foundation. Because we're very proud of the fact that DSC and DSCF, we've got some absolutely fantastic, what we like to call conservation partners or several other titles. But the Mule Deer Foundation is certainly one of them. And, sure. and well, I'm a life member at DSC. I'm also a life member over yes. the Mule Deer Foundation and, and greatly support those 
great efforts that they've done. Let's talk a little bit about some of the things that you were involved there initially. Sure. Well, it was, and, and you know, uh, it was certainly nice to build that relationship between the Mule Deer Foundation and Dallas Safari Club and Dallas Safari Club Foundation. And you and, and Corey, uh, our president and CEO, uh, were both very instrumental in that, working with me and, and folks within MDF to grow that relationship and really do some good things and look forward to doing a lot more good things. Uh, so while uh, while I was there, you know, kind of kind of like a lot of shops, you kind of get your hand in everything. You got to wear a lot of hats, and and so it was uh, it was just great to see over the period of time. I, I go way back with uh, back as far with MDF as I do with DSC, and uh, served on the Mule Deer Foundation board for quite a while and shared it for a little while and. Before they talked me into going full time, which was a which was a wonderful move, and I really enjoyed yes, that. But it's been fun to see both organizations over the last you know ten to fifteen years evolve into what they are today, and uh, become more impactful on the conservation, advocacy, and education fronts, and really make a difference uh, for the for the, our hunting heritage for conservation that's all very near and dear to us. And so. Um, working together, we've we've been able to accomplish a lot. And you know, I always tell people, conservation is not easy, and it takes it's all of not. us to make it takes all of us to make it work. Yes, it does. Yes, it really does. There were so many different projects I know that you were involved in. Of course, we were able to through the, the DSC Foundation to, to to do some grants in in years past as well too. And I think some of those may involve some of the projects dealing with uh, water making water available to different places. Right here in Texas. There have been a lot of collaborative projects within Texas uh, between uh, DSC and, and the Mule Deer Foundation and, and other groups. And, and uh, you know, the secret ingredient here in Texas for a lot of Texas is water. I, I learned that a long time ago from some biologists at Texas Parks that are a lot smarter than me on that. And they said, <laughs> we've got all the habitat, we just need water. Well, you're exactly right. I, I can remember years and years ago, of course, I worked, as Corey did, Corey worked for TPWD, and I worked as a biologist initially as a wasp disease specialist, and then I was doing the kind of troubleshooting, and then I was a technical assistance biologist setting up properties uh, all over the southern half of the state, essentially, for management programs in terms of wildlife, including, of course, white-tailed deer. But water is is amazingly important in all this. It's You can grow tremendous wildlife and habitat when there's water available. And sometimes we don't have that water available. And I think up such as the Guzzler programs that were created many, many years ago, but long since have created more of those different places. Everything, we did them back years ago for desert bighorn sheep. And of course the mule deer benefited greatly mm -hmm. from them as well too. Tell, me, tell people a little bit about what a guzzler is. Well, it's interesting. So I've, I've worked on a few of the guzzler projects, and and, uh, and it's just fun to see a team of volunteers come together to get oh them done. Gracious, yeah. But you, you basically you are building a you, – so you've got some retention areas that are going to hold the water, but we don't get a lot of rain out in parts of no. parts of the you know the arid parts of Texas. And so what little rain you do get, you, you want to try real hard to capture and retain it so that it can be distributed in, in these areas where the deer and the other animals go to, to get a drink, if you will. And so you see these large aprons that are, I don't know, they're probably uh, at least 30 by 30, and some are bigger. I've seen some bigger, but yes. yeah, generally 30 by 30 is, is probably... It catches a, most of them. Yes, sir, it probably catches most of them is right. And so, that you know, it's it's basically just a, 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 a flat surface that, that gathers the water yeah. and filters it down and puts it into a big tank. And, and you know, um, a lot of private landowners here throughout Texas supplement that with bringing their own water in, which is impressive and, and a great example of 
how you know how we all are conservationists at heart or need to be and do all we can to particularly in areas where there's challenges uh, to make life better for for whether it's mule deer or desert bighorn or everything in between. One of the things that always tickled me because we had some that I worked with out in the Transpecos area of Texas that we put in was we'd go out there and the variety of wildlife that you would see, including if somebody's into butterfly watching, oh my gosh, you could go into those desert areas where you would not expect to see a mm-hmm. butterfly or songbirds of any great number. And the birds would flock in so thick that it would not darken the sky, but it would certainly darken the area around where that water was. And same thing with even with the butterflies and things like that. It just makes so much difference. You you know the you know something's something good is around there when you see all the different critters. And oh yes, sir. Butterflies and birds and deer and sheep and you know cats and every you know they all come into that. Uh, they so all benefit t- from so it. So typical of what we do to if we do anything for a quote-unquote targeted game species, whether it's a habitat and water certainly plays into the habitat thing, but uh, it's amazing how more benefit there is to all the other species when you get right down to it. So it it creates this absolutely fantastic little environment that, uh, you know, could have been there if there was any kind of water there. And one time, there may have been sufficient amount of water in those areas. You, you go into some of these arid, dry areas, or really arid and, and dry areas, same thing, but uh, and you'll find, uh, like I said, butterflies all of a sudden show up. Well, they were, well, they were probably there. And at one time, probably that water level and the water table was high enough to where you had all these little seeps. Because if you look at some of these areas like that, you'll start finding facts of human habitation when the when the indigenous if you want to call back in them the that, day back in the days and the, the you know the tens of maybe tens of thousand years ago kind of thing so we've, we've changed that over the year with all the utilization of water from humans but uh it it does crop back very quickly i'm i'm amazed at how you know an area that is you know you just don't see much wildlife or game in because it's lacking water. Right. You put in these guzzlers and in and oh, and, and they find it. They find it. It's it's amazing. It's a, I'm sure they can smell it. Maybe they I'm, can't smell the water itself. They can smell the, the mud that's created or the vegetation right. that grows around. And they know there's they know there's water there, so they they make their way to it rather quickly. Before moving on from Mule Deer, tell me what you're having come now from the Mule Deer Foundation in the more recent years. Where where how does the mule deer look like right now as far as is the mule deer population on the increase? Is it holding its own? Is it decreasing? Or is it dependent upon the area of maybe yeah. all three of them? I think the answer is yes, yes, and yes. yes. There, there's definitely areas where where um, you know where, where populations have stabilized. There's pockets where populations are actually improving, and that's really great to see. And then there's the you know the unfortunate cases where where populations are still struggling and and a lot of the states across the western US have great plans in place to to help uh enhance uh, habitat and, and improve uh mule deer herds and so you know everyone is making the effort there's a lot of national efforts around uh, migration corridors that are not just benefiting mule deer but a lot of wild game migratory uh, big game that move throughout the uh you know elk and and antelope that kind of migrate throughout the year and so there's a lot of things going on th- that uh, will help them, uh, and, and we've got to make sure we continue that. Before we go on, I want to come back a little bit to the private land thing and all this, how the private landowner plays in this. But before we do that, we've got a new segment that we've just introduced. We'll actually introduce it on this uh, called Conservation Today. It's brought to us by Hayden Outdoors. And uh, I've got Mr. Phil Phillips lined up to tell you a little bit about 
what Hayden Outdoors is, what they do, and maybe a little bit about something dealing with private land ownership and how you can become a private landowner. We'll be right back after Phil gives his little dissertation here for a few moments. So if you could buy a hunting ranch, all the state's laws are different. In some places, as I understand it, there can actually be properties that are landlocked. In Colorado, if you buy a place, they're generally guaranteed access to that property. But in some states, I've heard that there could be landlocked piece of property, and if you purchase those without doing your homework, you might be buying an helicopter to get in and to actually hunt your place, and that wouldn't be much fun. You know, one thing I've found doing this uh, real estate business is a lot of times people come out with an idea of what they can afford and it turns out they get less than they wanted. And with a smaller piece of property, especially if you're talking about deer and elk out west, unless you're bordering a lot of national forest, you're right in a migration route, it takes a little bit bigger piece to really be practical to have good success on. But what I have found it's worked for guys a lot of times, usually there's four or five guys that will do that western trip. Uh, they may be done it for years together. Sometimes you can pull your resources and come up with a deal where three or four guys can come up with a big enough piece of ground did it really good and with Colorado for instance you've got an archery season and three or four rifle seasons so even if they don't go all, all at the same time they can utilize that property and and get a big enough piece of property where they're gonna have deer and elk you know one mistake I see people make a lot of times they're looking at properties is they'll they'll buy a piece of property wanting to put a lodge on it or a cabin a place to stay while they're actually hunting and they won't consider where the power is the water is if they could get a well in a certain spot and they end up building right in the middle of their property or at the back side of their property where they've got to go completely through the property to get to the to the place they're going to stay. So it's always a great idea when you get a piece of property, make sure that there's a place that you can access from the outside that's not going to affect the hunting on the inside. Because a lot of species, you know, whitetails might just run off and get in the brush, let you drive through and then come back out and be huntable that afternoon. But something like elk, if you run through the herd of elk, they're going to probably leave the place unless it's a giant property. So you want to get a place where you can set up do your camping, have your homestead, your cabin, your lodge, where you can get into it without affecting the hunting part of the property. That's going to make a big difference. Once you get there, if you've got to go through your elk to get to your cabin, you might not see in the rest of the week. So do yourself a favor. Make sure you find a property that you can get the cabin or house built on where it's not going to affect the hunting. Phil, thank you so very much. And, of course, I'll tell you what, there is no better realtor in the world when it comes to anything having to do with ranch lands or wildlife lands, of course these days so many more people are interested in the wildlife side of things and that is Hayden Outdoors and, and uh, you can find Hayden Outdoors by going to their website if you don't have a local guy that you're dealing with but it's HaydenOutdoors.com Again we've been joined today by Mr. Brian Feenhold with DSC and, and Brian when we left we were talking a little bit about corridors and things like that for mule deer, elk, other species as well too and Tell me what that means. What, what what does a quarter mean? So, well, just like a lot of animals, mule deer uh, will will migrate back and forth between summer and winter range. And they, you know, as the, as the weather gets cold and the snow comes down, they they migrate down to more of their winter range where they can get access to to habitat easier and uh, things of that nature. And and as as different as different things occur in in uh, ranching and and different places, you know, sometimes those migration corridors become obstructed or, or problematic for the deer. Right. And so organizations like DSC and, and MDF and working with state and federal agencies are really making it a priority to make those migration corridors more uh, passable for right. the, for these big game, for, for mule deer, for elk, for um, pronghorn and others. And so as they, uh, 
you know, sometimes it's a matter of removing uh, wildlife unfriendly fencing and replacing right. it with wildlife friendly fencing. Still accomplishes the fencing need, uh, but it does so in a way that makes it much more passable by by big game. And then there's other activities in place as well that really improve the the migration corridors for these folks. Every almost every state that I'm aware of has a migration corridor plan. And I don't know if that's exactly what they call it, but right. it's really designed to improve that the ability of these animals, these big game animals, mule deer, elk, pronghorn, others to to get to safely get from A to B so that they can survive the cold winters and as best that they can. And, and then they come right back the next spring as the thaw occurs and they go right back to their summer range. And so uh, so it's exciting to see. And it's 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 really um a high priority for uh, you know a lot of state and federal agencies. As it should be, you know, the mule deer and elk, particularly, and to some extent, pronghorn antelope as well too. Very often with white-tailed deer, I suspect there may be. I really don't know of a migratory herd of, of white-tailed deer, and some of our desert big, uh, de well, desert uh, mule deer, they may migrate very short distances up a mountain, down a mountain. But uh, like the western mule deer, the Rocky Mountain mule deer, I remember taking care of ranches. That dealt with in the very northwest corner of Colorado, and when that migration would come through out of Wyoming, going down into Dinosaur National Monument area, mm -hmm. uh, where they were more or less protected in in terms of uh, weather and also of of having food available. But I remember seeing as many small groups coming through, but over a period of days, see three to four hundred mule deer mm -hmm. come streaming through that ranch that we dealt with. And they may be here today and gone tomorrow because exactly. they keep on moving. Exactly. I, I'm big on, on shit antlers. And with white-tailed deer, if I find a shit antler, pretty good indication I know mm -hmm. where to start hunting mm -hmm. next year. But with a mule deer, if you start finding shit antlers, that may be a fantastic wintering area <laughs> and not worth a darn come hunting season. Come hunting season. That's exactly right. So, I do. I, you know, I uh, having hunted whitetail a large portion of, portion of my life, I think they do. Uh, they they migrate around me, away from me, because you know I just can't. I don't have the same magnetism that you do to whitetails, but I try. You know. Well, uh, this this past year, whatever magnetism there was, I lost. I think oh, I no. from being a positive to a negative or the, the reverse <laughs> of that because it was go. one of the toughest seasons I've ever had on whitetail. Mule deer house, however, were much more enjoyable to hunt. Than there you go, whitetail deer. I like it. I want to come to hunting here for too very long because you've had some great opportunities in the past. And But let's, let's go back to at this point with, with DSC yes. and DSCF. What are your primary goals that you hope to accomplish in the next several years? Well, I think um, there's so much energy across our oh our members, our volunteers, our leadership at, at, the, at the staff and board levels of DSC and DSC Foundation. It's it's very contagious, and I and I think we can. The, what I hope to do is be a part of a group that can harness that energy and that passion, and really drive support for the work that DSC and DSCF, uh, DSC Foundation stand for. And uh, one of the things that's always attracted me to being a part and as active as I could be with DSC and the foundation has been just that passion and energy that everyone brings to the table, and and just as importantly, it's the uh, the welcoming nature. Of everybody oh, here at DSC, you know, yes, you know, we use the use the term of well, it becomes family is used a lot, and it's right. oftentimes cliche. Well, it's not cliche here, and uh, there is a DSC and DSC Foundation family here, and it's it's great to be a part of it. It's a welcoming group. If you you can get as involved as you want, 
and you are welcomed and encouraged to get as Amen. involved as you want, <laughs> as, as we can both attest to. And so my, my you know, hope, desire, plans are to really harness that passion, that energy, and help grow support for the, for the mission of DSC and the foundation. Um, my other hope is to just encourage everybody to get as involved as they can. And I think they'll find it very rewarding. They'll 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 see very clearly the value that uh, DSC and the DSC Foundation bring to conservation, that they bring to education, and that they bring to advocacy on a you know and on a on an international scale. It's not just a particular country or a particular region or a particular area. It's it's across the it's across the board. It's an international appeal. It's it's uh, all over the place, and it's very exciting to be a part of that. And so I hope to you know, grow the herd, if you will, uh, get more people involved and, uh, at, at any level that they care to be involved with. And there's all kinds of levels of involvement. That, and one of them is just simply being a member and being supportive mm-hmm. in that way. Mm-hmm. Of course, there are so many other ways beyond that. With the, uh, you mentioned the international thing. So very often I get approached by people who says, well, it, it, it's an international organization. It is an international mm-hmm. organization. But a, I would say that probably far less than half of our members, uh, far over half of our members, I should say, probably have never hunted Africa. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they were like I was many years ago before I finally in a position where I could go of dreaming about doing these hunts. And when it comes to the foundation, we have granted, and our grants are applied for and extremely well vetted uh, before any money is made and there has to be an accountability of how that money is spent once it is granted to these individuals or a corporation or a uh, institution right. or whatever the, the, the granting request comes from. But uh, the other side of that is, is even though we do a lot of international thing, actually if you look at what we spent in the last bunch of years, about somewhere between 52 to 56 percent of our Grants have gone to within the USA or North America, North America yep. so we're we're very strong here in North America as, as well too. Yeah. And, and uh, with that said, we've we've been in meetings the last couple of days, particularly regarding uh, the upcoming DSC Foundation Gala, which is going to be June the fourth here in the Dallas area at the uh, Frontiers of Flight Museum. This will be our second year. Uh, I felt so fortunate to have you as a guest last time. Now. Now there's, you're gonna, there's method in madness. Now you're going to put me to work. Now I'm going to put you to work. <laughs> <laughs> well, so tell people a little bit about you know what what that coming that event coming sure, up. Sure, and, and I, absolutely. And the gala is going to be a wonderful event. It oh, was yes. last year. And just one last quick note on the whole international picture around the DSC and DS DSC effort foundation efforts. It's you know when when I look at international that that's a you know that that's North America, that's Africa, that's oh, South yes. America, that's you know wherever it happens to be. You know, conservation knows no boundaries. Amen. And well, uh, right. and and so you know, and and a lot of the effort and a lot of the the time and effort and resources from the foundation and from DSC go directly to all all corners of the world and uh, wherever the greatest need is. And so much of that has been in North America lately, yes. and, and it is it is you know abroad as well. And I think that's what speaks so well of this organization is that it, it is a true advocate for the hunter conservationist wherever you happen to hunt and wherever conserve. Wherever it is, yes. wherever wildlife yes. is, yes, absolutely. Actually. So, well, getting back to the gala, well, the, the gala. Yeah, so, which, gala. I'm not sure. Yeah. Jerry Baker says it's gala. 
wrestlers call it gala. So well, he's a lot more sophisticated than us. So we'll go with well, gala. Well, he, yeah. he is a former CPA. Yeah. And I say former because now he's our treasurer for the DSC Foundation. There you go. But he's also retired, so he's no longer that CPA. Well, this this, <laughs> this event is it's one of a kind, I think, as as so many of the DSC and DSC Foundation Absolutely. events are. And it's really exciting. And I thank you again for letting me be a part of it last year. Oh, and I can't wait to see. And, and how exciting is it to see what's coming up for this year's event? We, we've been able to, of course, it'll be an in-person uh, event. It'll be basically a one-day event and yeah. one-evening event. But also because of, even though I sometimes question the Internet on different things, in this instance, if you, if you can't attend... And we will have limited seating, unfortunately, because of the space requirements kind of thing and the space limitations. But it'll also be available to where you can bid on these items that we have coming up for auction. And the auction items that we have are second to none. We've got international things, but you've come up with some really cool different things. There's things for there for the ladies as well to yeah. do. You know, guys, if you got a hunting trip planned and you want to kind of grease the wheels a little bit, this would be a good place to do it. Well, I'm looking forward to as we start to roll out information on the event and the auction items and and the different unique. They're just they're just many of them are one of a one of a kind experiences, one of a kind adventures that you just won't see anywhere else. No, and so we've got some what to me are really kind of exclusive because you couldn't get on these properties mm -hmm. any other way. Uh, there's simply no way to get there because it's sometimes just basically a family operation. Sometimes these places are sold out years in advance, and if you wanted to go. You could probably look at it in the next 10 or 15 years of going, but a lot of us don't want to wait that long. And so this is an ideal time, an ideal place to, to look at some of those items that are like that and to start bidding on them once they become available. And that, that, I think, is another testament to the supporters and, and folks that, that believe in DSC and what the foundation does. And, and are committed to making a difference. And so they'll put forth opportunities like this that you just can't get anywhere no, else. No, you can't. You can't. And so that, that's, uh, that is just, a, yet again, another example of, of the folks and the, and the commitment and passion and energy towards what we do here uh, that, that really speaks volumes. Well, as we move forward into, this will be, we've got probably another couple of months or so, but of course we'll have all kinds of information available here on the podcast and also on things that I do on Facebook and Instagram, which is Larry Weissin Outdoors or at Larry Weissin Outdoors, but particularly, too, on our websites, which for DSC and DSC Foundation, those are fantastic resources for so many different things. And I would just encourage folks, as you mentioned, there are limited seats. It's a fun crowd. It's a, it's a high-energy crowd. And you won't be disappointed by attending. And and again, if you can't attend, there'll be some on. There's certainly some online auction opportunities there, and and in house there'll be some neat opportunities as well that are that are available only in house. So if you if you want to go, I would encourage folks to, as soon as possible, get registered. But it will be a good time, as you know. It it will be. We've we've got some absolutely great items coming up for auction, as we kind of mentioned. But it goes far beyond that. You mentioned the family thing. For years, I've said the DSC convention is a huge family reunion. Mm -hmm. This is kind of a new family reunion kind of thing. We've established the same sort of feeling that goes with DSC convention as well, too. So, and we'll put out some more information, but you can always go to dscf.org or our DSC website is uh, 
big game. That's B-I-G-G-A-M-E dot O-R-G. And there's so much information there. And there's all kinds. If you're interested in what the money does, go to the DSC Foundation website and look. Because I'll tell you what, we've got Safari Classics who does our messaging. And that group, and which comprises of about three or four total people, do an unbelievable job. And... and the videos that they put out and, and the things that are involved, the information they put out is just second to none. There's nobody better in the world as far as I'm concerned. I would I would second that. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about hunting. You you hunted mule deer this year, and it was on a property that I had an opportunity, but I couldn't go for the last couple of years. I've been kind of halfway invited to hunt that place through uh, a gentleman over in, in, in San Angelo, that's the good friend Alan McLean, who's friends with the owners. And uh, you were prepared for a very long hunt, but from what you told me, it wasn't one of those hunt 10 day for mule deer and then hopefully the last moment <laughs> one steps out. <laughs> you know, you don't have to hunt very long to realize that uh, opportunity strikes at different times and rarely is it the first morning. And it's oftentimes, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth day or maybe not at all. And, uh, you know, we're all, I think, trying to find that, you know, just a good, mature, representative animal that's a, a great animal to, to harvest. And uh, I, the good Lord was looking out for me that first morning because <laughs> I, we, cool. we, we hadn't, uh, hadn't gone too far at all and, and had a great opportunity at a mature mule deer and beautiful animal, of course. And, uh, and so just was able to... Um, was able to put a good shot on and 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 was able to take that animal but uh, it, it, I it was the first morning so you know that doesn't happen very often as no, you can as no. you know and <laughs> and I just count my lucky stars when you know you just you hope for an opportunity you hope that you can do your job as a hunter and uh and then uh and then of course uh you know I'm enjoying that uh that venison, uh, as you know, throughout oh, yes. the winter here. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Now you're going on a trip this fall, I believe that I've told you some of the best venison in the world. Oh yes. Up to Alaska. Up to Alaska. I can't wait. Yeah. You're, you're headed up there. I think with Keegan McCarthy. And, yes, sir. And, uh, Alaskan coastal adventures, I think is, is his official name for it his is. company. I've hunted with Keegan for black bear a couple of times and Sitka blacktail. And to me, those Sitka blacktail boat hunts are, out, well, the bear hunts are too. Either one of them are out yeah. of this world. Well, there's, there's hunts and then there's hunts that become adventures. And this tends to be a little more on that um, side, I think. It, it can be. I yeah. can, uh, one of these days, I'll, I'll have to, I won't say, tell it here because it takes an entire <laughs> podcast to tell you the adventure that my good buddy and our DSC Foundation president, Tim Fallon, and I got into up here, and it's beginning, you know, now we look back at it, and we laugh about it, but there was a time or two when all this was going on with ice, and, oh, well, we'll, we'll cover that some other time. It, it takes too long to tell. A little more adventure little, than you bargained for almost that was, day. Yeah, it became a, a true adventure for there several, you go. several days kind of thing, but... Cool. Uh, those deer, of course, you'll be up there during the time frame. They live up high, but they start coming down. The snow starts falling. They get down, and the the one well, the deer that I've shot for the most part have been right on water's edge. Okay, kind of okay, yeah. and that's the beauty of it. That generally, and 
going back to this other adventure that we'll talk about some other time, generally you can pull the boat right up there and uh, load it up. And I got tickled with Keegan when we were there this, the last time I was there on a guided hunt with him. We gutted the deer, shot the deer, did all our videos, all of our TV stuff, gutted the deer, took it back to the boat, and he tied the antlers, tied a rope on the antlers, and we let this animal... It left it in the water all the way back to the boat. Cooled out, probably, yeah. And in the process, not only did it thoroughly clean the inside of that animal, it cooled it down unbelievably nice. And there's something about those Sitka blacktail, and, and it's diet-related, no doubt, but it may be the fact that they eat a lot of kelp or whatever. But their venison it is the finest venison I, I brag on a bunch of others, but not like that one. They're out of this world. So. Yeah, I can't wait to try that. You've mentioned that to me in the past, and uh, and it sounds incredible. I just I do look forward to that. I've I've had the chance to get to chat with Keegan a little bit, yes. and, and a gentleman that works for him named Frenchie, and and both so informative. And uh, every time I leave one of those conversations, and or talk to you about that trip, I just get so much more excited. About it. Let's leave tomorrow. I know. Can we go now? Yeah, exactly. That'd be great. But uh, yeah, and I and I really can't wait to to try the. We'll have to share some of the uh, the backstraps over, uh, over will, a campfire. We will certainly do that. Hopefully, one of these days we both get up there at the same time. That, that to me, that to me was one of those hunts that are true. I love deer hunting. I love love all hunting. That hunt, one of those hunts that to me is very special. Important is the reason because you are on the boat. It's a, and the yeah. the food is fantastic and the beautiful place. Oh my god, gorgeous! Just, I mean, that's Alaska's Alaska. There's only one Alaska. There's only one Alaska, and there's so much of it, and it's just absolutely fantastic, breathtaking scenery, and the hunting opportunities are there, and the fishing opportunities mm-hmm. too. Um, Maybe even a duck or two. You know what? Yeah, that brings up another source. <laughs> I just think of it. <laughs> the first time I went up there, I went there with, with Tim Fallon, and I had my federal duck stamp. I got up there and my shotgun, and I looked, and he goes, do you have your uh, Alaska duck stamp? And I go, what? <laughs> <laughs> so I ended up playing cameraman and, and uh, bird boy. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. Tim appreciated that, <laughs> no, I'm sure. I'm sure he did. Yeah. I'm sure he did, by golly. And so I watched Tim and another friend of ours shoot all these fantastic, beautiful, unbelievably beautiful, and good to eat, too, by the way, but... Uh, but the, the the sure enough seed ducks, if you will, yeah, they're so pretty and they're so plentiful. And um, you're making me want to go more. <laughs> well, jump in with us. I can still see the darn birds coming in in such droves that you had to be careful to pick out one, you know, because right. and make sure it's on the edge so that you weren't going to hit more than one bird. Exactly. Or depending on what the limit was, but you'll have an absolute blast up there. And of course, as soon as you get back from that, I want to do a podcast with you. And, we'll do uh, it. And, and see photographs and listen to the stories. That's what's so much fun about what we do. You know, you, oh, you can talk about some past hunts, but it's all—it's just about as exciting to talk about what you've got coming up. And it, so it, I, it truly is. We're we're going to close this out here in just a little bit, but let's let's go back a little bit to the director of development. Yes. What can our members do? What can prospective members do? Or anybody that's truly just interested in wildlife and and understands how important hunting and conservation and education and the advocacy becomes more and more important as we move forward with the world that we live in. How can we get more people engaged and how can they get, how can you help them get engaged and all those kind of good things? 
Well, I just first start off by encouraging anyone that is interested in getting involved in any manner with the organization to reach out to us. Reach out to me directly here at the DSC offices. You know, our website has our phone number on it, and uh, and certainly folks are willing. Or are, I would welcome any call from anyone on how they might want to get involved. Uh, it takes all of us to make conservation work. It's it's it can't be done by one person or or one group. And I'm awfully proud of what we do right here at, at the Dallas Safari Club and the Dallas Fire Club Foundation. We make a difference, and it's because of our members and our volunteers and, and the effort that they put uh, every day of the year to that end. And so I would encourage folks to to explore and become involved. That's what I did many, many years ago, and I, and I haven't regretted it ever, getting involved with groups like Dallas Safari yes, Club. And, and you know, from the time I walked through the doors at my first convention and was just wowed by everything that yes, is sir. the DSC convention, and and then you look at how those funds that are raised are used for the betterment of conservation and education and and advocacy, growing our uh, you know growing and ensuring our hunting hunting heritage and our conservation legacy uh, for many for the you know for generations to come. And so, it's an easy group to get involved with. It's a welcoming group to get involved with. And and I'll be the I'm I'm more than happy to help in any fashion folks that want to get involved with their time, their effort, their resources to make a difference in, uh, in what we do in our mission. And so reach out to us here at the office, ask for me, and, uh, and we'll get you involved. With, with that said, I will tell you, whoever's listening, that conservation costs money. And we're always looking for funds. Our, the, the funds generated by DSC and DSC's foundation go to the, to the work. They don't go to individuals. So, and I'll remind you too as well that the, the foundation is a 501c. Uh, so it's a, uh, any, any, anything that you might like to contribute can be tax deductible as well too. So uh, you can get some tax benefits there and really truly help conservation. And again, like I said, this money doesn't go out of anybody's pocket. It goes to help our cause and our cause being conservation, education, and advocacy type of thing. So uh, if, if you've got any kind of things you might want to contribute, be it dollars or even it be a product or something, you know, maybe there's something we can do to help you and help you save some money in the long run by giving us money so that we can spend it for the right reasons. And, you know, and uh, one of the most common questions that I get is how's, how, if I support the organization financially, um, how does that money get used? And, right. and we all love to talk about that because Absolutely. we have a great record to talk about there. You know, whether it's, you know, used for in, any, of the, any of the main aspects of the organization, conservation, education, advocacy. There are great stories on an international scale, much of which are right here in North America, much, you know, a lot around the world, where it makes a difference in livelihoods, where it makes a difference for conservation, where it makes a difference for wildlife. And, and we'll talk about that all day. Absolutely, and the quality of life, not just the quality of life of the wildlife, but the quality of life of the human being who truly appreciates Absolutely. and survives on wildlife. When so you get so we want to be as transparent and, and really uh, accountable to the trust that folks put into the organization, Absolutely. and we're happy to talk about that. Corey can talk about that. You, any board member, you know, we're certainly happy to talk about that, and uh, that's what really, I think, drives the, the once folks get involved with DSC and the DSC Foundation, they they tend to get more involved and more involved and more involved and that's because they see they see how that money is take the the responsibility for those funds how that is how that's managed and how it's managed very um, very intensely to really get the best value 
for for wildlife. For wildlife, yes, sir. Brian, thank you so very much for joining us around the campfire this morning. I can't wait to get back with you. Um, wishing my life away at this point because I want to hear your stories about hunting Sitka blacktail and of course mule deer will probably come before that and we'll, we'll gather around this campfire again here before too very long get Brian back on and talk a little bit more about DSC, DSC Foundation but also about some of our hunting experiences. Thank you all so very much for joining us this week. We'll be right back here around the campfire next week. Thanks for joining us around the campfire. To leave a comment or suggestion for an upcoming episode, go to Instagram at Larry Wysoon Outdoors. Please join me right here next week for another DSC's Campfires. DSC's Campfires with Larry Wysoon has also been brought to you by The Crown Bar in LaGrange, Texas, H3 Whitetail Solutions, Remington, Texas Wildlife Association, TRHP Outdoors, 